Hello, hello, everyone. Todd O'Brien here. I appreciate you joining in. I'm joined by the wonderful Dr. Fields here today. I'm going to let him introduce himself so I don't butcher it. And I was actually trying to figure out where do we first connect. I think at one point in my life, I was systematically hunting anyone with the word psychedelic in their LinkedIn profile. Probably a little bit of a connection through there. And anyone who wants to talk about psychedelics, about mental health, and I think you've got a lot other great things to offer, I'm more than happy uh, to make the time. So Dr. Fields, maybe a quick update on what you're working on, who you are. How did we arrive here, both of us uh, in these virtual pods today? Yeah, Tyler, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Thanks again. And my background is my master's and my doctorate are actually both in acupuncture and Eastern medicine. On top of that, I've done a bunch of certifications in functional medicine. I am involved in the psychedelics field as well. And I'll give you a little bit of background on that. But before we get to all that, I'll tell you my story, how we got here and how I got here. I, I've been in martial arts my whole life. I, I grew up with it. About 20 plus years ago, I was introduced to Qigong, which is like Tai Chi. It's a healing practice from my acupuncturist, one of my martial arts teachers uh, introduced me to that. And that started my affinity for healthcare and for holistic medicine and all that. And then about 10 years into that, I got super duper sick. I was disabled for about a year. I was in my early 30s at the time. I was having hot flashes, chills, fatigue, depression, tendonitis, carpal tunnel, systemic joint pain, every joint in my body, back and neck pain so bad. And I spent a whole year skipping from doctor to doctor, hearing, oh, your blood work's fine. It's all in your head. Here's muscle relaxers. Here's pain pills. Go home. They wanted to do carpal tunnel surgery on me and give me medications. And I just didn't see any of those as being viable options. I didn't see how any of those things were going to actually make me better other than rather I'll take a pill. And then I was like, what happens next week? Finally, with the help of a functional medicine pioneer, a formulary by the name of Reed Eckert, he actually helped me put my life uh, together again. He invents vitamins and works with MDs to create formulas. And he's a friend of mine since I was in high school, probably close to 30 years now. And I walked in his shop one day and he told me, you look like crap. I told him the whole story. He got me on some nutrients. And I didn't think it was going to help at all because I'd already seen a dozen specialists and doctors. And I'm like, what are you going to do for me? You, you sell vitamins. And it changed my life. They had me change my diet a little bit. He put me with a chiropractor by the name of Paul Grillo. And between that, the acupuncture, the, the nutrients and some dietary changes, even though I had a very healthy lifestyle, I was exercising seven days a week. I was eating very well. It just wasn't working for me. And the medical system completely failed me. And I don't know that I'd still be alive at this point because my quality of life was so bad that even if I could have been alive, I don't think I would have had the will to, to go on. Yeah. So having healed myself uh, naturally without any drugs, without any surgeries or anything like that, except me on my path to want to go back and do this full time and be able to help people like myself, that should be taken care of and should have options that they're not getting. And that's how we got to where we are today. We did meet on LinkedIn. And I will confess also, until I got heavily involved in the psychedelic field professionally, I also didn't use LinkedIn for anything. It was more like <laughs> yeah. a, a hub of spam that I'd log into once yeah, a year yeah. to just delete messages. But after getting involved with some of these conferences and starting to go out and start speaking professionally on the field in regards to mental health, which is one of my specialties, it, it just seems like a really good place to congregate for professionals that yeah. are in the space looking to move the field forward and that are, are health orientated and want to see an improvement in the 
healthcare system in, in our country and the world, not just our country. Uh, you're in Canada. Yep. I'm in the United States. And it's just been a fantastic place to connect with people from all over the world, UK, Australia, South Central America. It's, it's, it's a great resource for people. And a lot of these conferences, like the Wonderland that I'm speaking at in a couple of weeks yep. and Canada, some of these other things are, are international conferences where we have people that are enthusiasts and doctors and indigenous people and professionals, venture capitalists from all over the world coming and congregating. It's a, it's a beautiful field. It's moving forward. And I think the research really supports the psychedelics in specific are going to be the next breakthrough in, in mental health, right? We haven't had a major update to our mental health treatments in probably 30, 40 years since SSRIs were introduced. We now know that the research on them was completely wrong to begin with, and the whole theory of how they work was wrong. We have 50 years of data on that now that they just reversed earlier this year, saying the whole method of which they work and the serotonin deficiencies and all that is, is completely incorrect. They still work for some people. It's a very low percentage, especially compared to the success rates we're seeing with the psychedelic medicines. But overall, they're not that effective, and they have a lot of dangerous side effects where the safety profile on the psychedelics is way, way higher. But as an acupuncturist and an herbalist, we're always looking for things that are going to be more natural, more holistic, plant-based medicines that are going to be safer, less toxic, and more effective for our patients. Very cool. Thank you so much for the summary there. I'm interested. You did some work on a petition for the DEA to uh, mm -hmm. reschedule psilocybin. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that process and where we are now. And maybe just for everyone who's listening or watching, like a, a bit of an update on where we are as a whole and whether you want to label it a movement or whatever it is, but this shift to recognizing psychedelics as a viable path for treatment in a lot of cases. What we're talking about is the petition to the DEA to reschedule psilocybin from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2 based on right-to-try laws. In the United States, we have these federal and state right-to-try laws. It says for patients who are terminally ill and dying to ease their end-of-life anxiety or, or whatever else that they're looking for, if there is an investigational compound that has been clinically tested and has passed Phase 1 clinical trials, and has been proven safe and effective, then patients are legally allowed access to these compounds. Now, psilocybin is one of these compounds. It's actually already passed phase two clinical trials on multiple studies. It's going into phase three clinical trials. Yet the DEA and the United States government is refusing to let terminally ill patients, whether it be cancer or AIDS or whatever it is, they're refusing to let these patients use these medications and they've been proven to be safe and they've been proven to be effective at helping ease us into life anxiety and depression and stress that the patients are going through and they just refuse it. So there is a doctor by the name of Sunil Agarwal who brought the first petition um, forward. This is the third petition now that he's putting forward. And there's a firm by the name of Hush Blackwell that's really done the, the majority of the casework on this. And the first two petitions were denied. They weren't even heard. This last petition that went in that I was signed on to, and I'm being represented by Joseph Shapiro and Dan McPhillip out of New Jersey, and they're part of the New Jersey State Bar Psychedelic um, Association. Uh, they're attorneys uh, up there. Uh, we've gotten a bunch of different doctors and medical providers to basically sign on to this and petition the DEA to hear this case. 
it's the petition went to the ninth district court, which is one level below the Supreme Court. So very interesting. The case was just argued on October 20th, seven days ago. It was just heard. We are waiting for results. Now, this is not medicalization. This is not legalization, but it is a step forward in the right direction. Right now, psilocybin, which is uh, magic mushrooms or fungi that we're speaking about, it is scheduled as a class uh, schedule one drug, meaning that there is no medicinal value and it's extremely dangerous. So now cocaine and methamphetamines and fentanyl are schedule two drugs. They're not on schedule one. Essentially right now, psilocybin, ayahuasca, some of these other drugs, even cannabis are schedule one, meaning that they're extremely dangerous and don't have medicinal value. The research disproves that. This is not anecdotal evidence. We have clinical trials at this point from all over the world, including um, high quality clinical trials here. And I was one of the people that uh, petitioned. I signed onto it. I was able to shape some of the language. I read through the initial petition. I found that one of the phase two clinical trials was not included, the COMPASS trial. So I had that, uh, I had them add that language into the brief. And I also found that the language in the initial petition was just for cancer patients and end-of-life AIDS patients, which I thought it should be expanded to veterans and other end-of-life issues. If you've got Parkinson's or MS or suicidal tendencies as a veteran or anybody else, these are issues that could be considered end-of-life and people should have access to these medications if nothing else has worked, right? If you've already tried all the other medications, if you've tried talk therapy and you have, let's say, treatment-resistant depression or any sort of anxiety. This case is specifically for right to try law. So this is for terminally ill patients. But any terminally ill person should be allowed to use these medications. If they're going out in any way, we know they're safe. We know they're effective. They will, will likely be legalized or medicalized within the next couple of years anyway, following the phase three clinical trials that are going to be wrapping up in the next year or so. So what made this petition actually get heard versus the previous instances? It's a great question. I think that's going to be uh, a lot of grit and a lot of grinding on behalf of uh, Dr. Sunil Agarwal and uh, the team at Hush Blackwell. And the fact that they were able to sign up so many more doctors and clinicians to it, I think we've probably got 50 different institutions. And some of them are nonprofits, some of them are clinics, some of them are individual physicians basically speaking their mind and petitioning the court to the fact that we need these medicines. So it was able to get in the Ninth District Court. And we'll see what happens. The first two petitions, the DA just shot down. They basically said, well, we're not even going to hear this. I'm up in Canada here. I'm in Toronto. And there's an organization, Theracil, that did a lot of, I believe, terminal, end of life, a similar thing. Why are we allowing someone even, for example, to basically die, but not give them an opportunity to try a substance that would maybe make their quality of life better? I haven't got an update on them and how successful. I know that's been successful, but then some of the flow of that slowed down a lot and don't know the exact reasoning behind it. But it seems like a, a similar approach and a very like emotionally resonant approach for anyone listening. Like it's hard to, whether all the science and everything is there, it's hard to challenge someone who's in an end of life state and not try to have them have a better quality of life there. I guess the other piece that you've mentioned here is you've been petitioned or there's been petitions multiple times. So it's not so much of a shut and close even outcome that you're waiting for right now. You could get some feedback or if this doesn't go through, there might be petition for. There might be petition five. Correct. It's up in the air right now. We, we'd like to see as much progress we want. There's a separate petition that went in on behalf of veterans. 
and there's other um, laws and bills and every state in the U.S. kind of has their own thing going on. Uh, more than half of the United uh, the states in America right now have either um, petitions, some legislation, um, some kind of bills, or they're on a path of either um, medicalizing, decriminalizing, or funding research. It, it's, I believe, over 30 states right now have something in the works regarding psychedelics because of the profound mental health impacts that it can have and, and the ability to work much better than drugs. It's moving much faster than we even saw with cannabis. Even with cannabis in the United States, we're still not fully legalized or medicalized in, in every state. And this is a process that's been going on, I don't know, 15, 20 years, maybe longer. Uh, the psychedelic uh, boom has really just been the last two, three years where there was nothing was legal. And now all of a sudden there's cities that are decriminalizing, there's states that are putting up uh, money for research, and we're talking about tens of millions of dollars. So it, it's exciting to see. And with MDA in particular, and the work that uh, MAPS and Rick Doblin has done, uh, a lot of that has been funded, or the clinical trials, I should say, I've been in conjunction with the VA, with the Veterans Administration. These are large-scale things that have government support, and we'd all like to see our veterans to have better mental health care. Uh, we have a huge problem with suicide with veterans, PTSD, and all that. And, and we know a lot of them suffer from treatment-resistant depression. So uh, these options like ketamine, like MDMA, like psilocybin, they've been shown to be very clinically useful, have very low impact. Also, for most of them, they're not required to take daily medication. For some of these medicines, they might do one or two doses or with ketamine, it might be six doses over a, a two or three week period. And then some of these uh, people are reporting that they're still having positive outcomes six months down the road, a year down the road, which you don't see that with the pharmaceuticals. There's much lower clinical outcomes. Some of these uh, medications are shown up to 70% efficacy on treatment-resistant depression, which is unheard of because you're talking about depressions and issues that um, they've tried every treatment and they just, none of the treatments work. So if you're saying, Hey, this works 70%, that's night and day above any sort of pharmacological or talk therapy or TMS therapy. It, it, there's nothing that compares as far as efficacy. And you, so it's so, exciting. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's super exciting. And it's, again, I think there's a, a bias for myself and probably a lot of us who are just like, when you listen to you say that, I'm just like, it's obvious and self-evident, but to understand that's not always how the world works or sees things. And Correct. I guess public, public opinion is uh, the, the last place to change policy. But it's interesting, right? In a lot of cases, public policy lags behind public opinion. It seems right. like there is over, not overwhelmingly, but a large responsiveness to these type of treatments or at the very core, especially I think through the American lens, a little bit more of, we have our freedom here. We'd be allowed to do uh, what we want to do. Uh, agreed, especially when it's something that you could essentially, for some of these things, grow at home and um, is as safe as it is. It's unfortunate, but uh, politics and, and big pharma being what it is, it's, it's just going to take a while. But speaking of public opinion, I think that's why we've seen such a huge um, increase in the media reports about these types of compounds and the movement that we've seen with things like microdosing taken off and, yeah. and things like that. So there's so many underground players now that are making products that are packaged and labeled and very professional looking stuff. Uh, I think it's just going to take a little while longer before the institutions catch up. 
Yeah, and it's interesting. So I'm in Toronto. Marijuana has had a you know huge, I'm basically legalized fully in Canada, but I'm actually just outside of Toronto in an area called Mississauga. And what was super interesting was even though legalization had happened, they only recently allowed marijuana dispensaries to open up in our yeah. certain region. So even though it was legalized at a federal level, there was some, I don't know, local bylaws and stuff present. So anyways, what I'm super happy about right now is just within three minutes, there's a bunch of dispensaries shopping up. So I'm a happy guy. I come in, I say, hey, you know, what a wonderful time. But we've also seen... In Toronto, famously, Dana Larson in Vancouver always pushed boundaries. He was this early guy who just opened weed shops before they were legal. He dealt with the consequences of that over and over mm. again. We've now seen the same thing from a more of a psychedelic where you're buying psilocybin in stores, going through that same process. Right. But just this historical precedent seems to be these things emerge. There's going to be a bunch of battles back and forth. But I don't know. It just seems to have this intentional shift. And so we're now seeing that in Toronto, a store, that store got raided, but it was literally called Shroomies. And it's this- I'm keeping up on the news. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's- you guys are definitely pushing the boundaries. Love it. I, I, and that's I, what it takes. It takes fearless business people that are willing to put life and limb on the line for the overall good of society. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for people who do it. I I have too, a lot of anxiety in my life and to live under that anxiety seems yeah. super <laughs> difficult. So I'm just, that, yeah. it's an amazing, amazing thing to me. I think one thing I'm, I'm curious just to get your perspective is you're, so you're a <laughs> practitioner, you're talking about a couple clinics that are opening up. And so my, I'll tell my perspective on the psychedelics model of how can bring this to a sustainable place for practitioners or, so there was this huge boom. In I would say what end of 2019, start of 2020, right? Part of it coinciding with COVID, part of it with I think a zero interest rate environment, and then a lot of hype mm-hmm. um, around that. We saw a bunch of these companies take these very expedited paths to becoming public companies, both through all of these reverse takeovers in the U.S. and Canada, especially. We saw a lot of those. Most of those, I think, have ended. I don't know if I would say the word poorly, but not in the ideal outcome that people that wanted. And I actually went to the first ever Miami Wonderland conference and I was just super curious. It was an interesting time. And some of my friends were the ones who put that together. So I wanted to go. And there was this guy there to me and he said something really interesting. It wasn't the reason why I was there, but he said, all the easy money has been made. Yeah. And that, cause that's the lens that some people were looking through this at. And I think now there's been a funnel of people in and out. And there's the people who are, I think, left over here who either made big financial obligations and they have no other choice, or they're the ones who are truly passionate about bringing these Mm. sort of therapies to life. And so I'm wondering just perspective here. I know I'm asking a long question, but I know, for example, as the interest rates changed, even MAPS, the leading organization had their public company had problems getting the fundraising and philanthropy mm-hmm. support. And so they actually had to build a licensing model for MDMA capped at certain profit levels, but to continue their clinical trial work so they could make this through. And then you, I'm guessing, I'm assuming here are, you've got all these supplemental services and all these offerings that you do. And that's probably the core of your sort of businesses and clinics, but we're probably, and besides, besides ketamine, we're probably, how far, or where, how are you thinking of, this offering of psychedelics or as it comes towards you of being in this sort of sustainable model? Obviously, it's a multi-tier question and and you're right. And we saw a lot of the same pathway happen with the cannabis industry as well, right? Where all these uh, companies were valued at outrageous numbers and then they kind of tanked. Now, 
part of it, it was hype, uh, absolutely. And a lot of these companies did overcapitalize and some of them did not have sound business models to begin with because there was a money grab and yeah. that's human nature. If people are willing to throw money at something, people, there's going to be people who want to take we'll it. Take that. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of these bad actors, like you said, didn't end up well or their valuations completely tanked. And some of that is just market forces, I think, right? Sure. Markets in yep. general are down. Although we are shying away from announcing it, we've probably been in a recession for the last year or so. Yeah. And it looks from economic indicators that it's probably going to get a little worse before it gets better. So I think part of it is just the what's going on um, in, in the world economy, which is going to influence it as well. And we saw that these some of these companies just imploded because they spent so much, they grew too fast, they overcapitalized, overhired, and they weren't able to make the returns or the, the profits they, that they were uh, promising investors. So that looks bad for all of us. And yeah. there's definitely a lack of funding in startups right now in the space. It's obviously not what it was like we talked about two, three years ago when interest rates were lower, but that's across the board, right? I have other businesses, if you're involved, if you're involved in real estate, money is just not flowing freely how it was three years ago. So it, it's not surprising. Some of these companies are very viable though. You're looking at the one that makes us ketamine. Um, I, I just saw the, the quarterly profits are, are through the roof, which mm -hmm. is a nasal spray yep. ketamine. I'm not going to get into brand names or anything, yeah. but it's so there is a market and there's a lot of the big players, like the, the big pharmaceutical companies are actually jumping in and they're developing compounds. There's a lot of startups that are developing compounds all over the world. So I, I don't think it's it's been a huge detriment. Has it slowed down the field a little bit? Sure. But I think people have enough passion and have enough sense. And there are enough investors that are looking at long term risk and reward versus rather let's make a quick IPO and bang it out and pump and dump the stock, which is what we saw happen. So I think it will continue to grow uh, on the ground right now. Personally, it, it's not a, like for me personally, my interest uh, in it hasn't been um, financial. It's been mostly what is the best care possible for my patients. What I do is mostly herbal medicine and functional medicine. So again, people the right nutrients and supplements and, and herbs and giving them referring out to physical therapy or chiropractic or doing physical medicine and PRP and, and that kind of stuff. But mental health is one of my specialties. I am the Eastern director for the uh, traditional, the American Institute of Traditional Chinese Medicine and, and Mental Health. So I'm the Southeastern director for that. I've spoken at a lot of the local universities. I've worked with trauma counselors I was I taught at a trauma center for a couple of years for the, the Parkland High School shooting that we had over here. Uh, unfortunately, that I'm an alumni at a high school, so I, I teach Tai Chi and these kinds of things. I'm now going into the business. I'm going in with some partners, and we're opening a a psychedelic medicine or a ketamine uh, treatment facility, which will be a first of its kind in Delray Beach, Florida, called New Path Mind and Wellness, which will be opening awesome. January February this year. And I think just because I've seen the results, I've had the patients that come in and I'm very good at what I do. And I do very well for mental health, for everything from anxiety, depression, insomnia, stress management through the modalities that I typically use in a clinic, which will be the herbs and the nutrients and breath work and meditation and acupuncture and all that extremely high success rate. But 
there are the cases that are also treatment resistant that just nothing mm. works for yeah. that they come in and they have suicidal ideations or anxieties. And I've seen cases and I've had cases where I've referred patients to a ketamine clinic. And it, like, uh, I have a, a patient, um, whose son was uh, young twenties, severe anxiety, suicidal ideations, and they had tried everything. They had tried every talk therapy, every sort of therapy you could possibly think of every medication they could think of. They came to me, nothing was working. I referred them out to some ketamine treatments. They did six sessions and one or two follow-up within the year. It's been almost two years now. Kid is completely fine. No more suicidal ideations, zero medications, none. Okay. Uh, kids in school working. So this is, is, is literally saving people's lives. So uh, I'm all for whatever uh, can do that. And so uh, right now, you are correct, for most of the states, the only thing that we have legal is the therapies, is, is the ketamine treatments, which is yeah. an off-label use. And the FDA just released some warnings about it, uh, trying yeah. to discourage people from doing it or, or looking at it. We're not sure exactly why they're doing it. There has never been not a single death from ketamine uh, in a clinical setting for mental health, not even one. Uh, all the ketamine reported uh, overdoses and um, fatalities have all been from um, um, extracurricular or recreational use, right? Or you'd see, we had a case in, in the news a, few, uh, a year or two ago where paramedics uh, gave a kid that had high anxiety and mental health issues a dose uh, based on the police asking uh, to do it. And unfortunately, the kid had passed, but it's extremely safe. It's been in use for a very long time. We use it for anesthesia. Uh, we use it as a tranquilizer and it's extremely effective, right? And it's not your traditional psychedelic because it's a dissociative. It dissociates your body from your mind and your left hemisphere or the brain from the right hemisphere. Uh, but it does have some similarities. It does push connectivity within the brain and neuroplasticity even a lot more than some of the psychedelics. We spoke about the MAPS research. It looks like the phase three clinical trials are uh, finishing up or some of them already had finished for MDMA. So we're hoping to get uh, legislative approval and either medicalization or legalization of that federally by next year in 2024. Yeah. So uh, that's the goal. So far, that looks good. Psilocybin or the, the mushrooms are about a year behind. They're going into phase three clinical trials. So we're hoping 2025. So as these other therapeutics and as these other compounds and medications become available legally, whether it be off-label use or decriminalized or whatever it is, then we'll be able to incorporate those into the business models of the, the ketamine clinics and yeah. the things we're already doing. And with NewPass specifically, what we're looking to do is have an, an integration model because a lot of these places are like, oh, the, the medicine, right? But it, it's not trading one drug for the other more importantly and for probably 80 percent of the people that i deal with they don't need any medication right a lot of times it's just getting their diet correctly it's just getting some fresh air some sunlight hydration right basic things vitamin d levels b12 levels so a lot of the mental health issues can actually be corrected by doing that kind of stuff or sense of community right if you're home alone and loneliness that's one of the biggest drivers of, of mental health issues and depression and, and all that. So one of the things we're looking to do with New Path Mind Wellness, we're actually going to have a 1,500 to 2,000 square foot event space where we're going to have basically a clubhouse where people yeah, yeah. can come in and have Tai Chi classes and yoga classes. 
And we're going to be doing these group ceremonies or group meditations, which is a term that uh, Zappi and I are Roman. Yeah, yeah, we work very closely with Zappi as well. And he's involved with the New Path Mind Wellness. We've been doing retreats with them. So it's a term that they coined, but it's like a group ketamine meditation, right? But we're working on everything from journaling to breath work to these things. And and the community is a big part of it. So people will be able to meet and, and mingle and then we'll have these other offerings like the functional medicine or nutritional advice and exercise classes and things which are required. There should be really a prerequisite mm-hmm. for mental health. For anybody who thinks they're just going to pop some mushrooms or MDMA and, or do ketamine once or twice, and that's going to fix every problem they've ever had in their life, it, it's unrealistic. And, yeah. and that's not the case. And the research is mixed on that. But overall, we know 100% that a lot of these cases, those integrative things alone will fix mental health, right? Your diet affects your mental health. Exercise affects your mental health. These things are not yeah. anecdotal. These are facts. So my partner, Monica, she came to Canada from India in 2019. And I'm actually forgetting the original date that cannabis was legalized in Canada, but it's a completely different world. Like when growing up, marijuana, like all humans seem to have this tendency to want to experiment with conscious states when you're a young kid in anywhere, but living in a country environment like I did, you're finding marijuana wherever you can and you're smoking it. But the amount of anxiety as a child, and again, I, I'm not going to debate the the health implications of uh, smoking yeah. marijuana. I understand the, the, the piece there, but at a core level, the amount of anxiety that was palpable in Canada at that time was such a a pretty big population of Canadians smoking, but very illegally and run-ins with police and just overall stigmatism around it was super. And, and so then Monica comes, that's not a big cultural thing in India, unless you're in specific sort of areas right. to come over and see stores everywhere and people ingesting freely. And so I think when you talk about these timelines, 2024, 2025, it's almost seems unreal because it's so yeah. close and the, the the whole sort of world or a mental state of a, a country could be changed very quickly. Some people, I don't know, you know, what your prediction of percentage will be pursuing um, avenues that are through clinics going mm-hmm. in and doing sessions very intentionally through that and wanting to have professional guidance through those sessions. But then the other thing is when laws change, public opinion or stigmatism change, and then there's an entire another subset of the population that just becomes open to those experiences, whether in a clinic environment or at home in their house, because it's just not illegal anymore, or it's not viewed the same way. And so I think we're it's fascinating to hear this change that's coming. And I, I'm crossing my fingers and hoping I think it can have a huge positive net impact on the world. And then I'm interested from this other part that you talked about where this other parallel trend is this sort of loneliness epidemic or can just I feel here, I'm working from home. I sit on my computer, part of why I'm doing these conversations like this, just to connect with people. And so I think tying these things together is a super compelling piece that you're doing. So I hope to be following you. And I know things always take a little longer. You've got January and I hope that it opens on time for you and everything goes to plan, but just things super interesting. And I guess just another question I have for you. So you're going to this Wonderland conference in Miami, which is nice for you. You don't have to go too far. Don't have to travel. Right. Correct. Too far. Have you gone to any of the previous my Wonderland conferences? Yeah, I spoke at Wonderland last year. I was on a panel for functional mushrooms and the blood mm, ga- and the gut brain axis. So has 
and you've gone to some other co- sort of conferences mm-hmm. and spoke and being involved as well too. And can you speak or do you have any sort of thoughts on the shift of how people are thinking about this from that first year, I think even Wonderland, which was the probably the little bit of the hype and a lot to me, a lot of business focused, capital yeah. intensive focused. And then the next year, some of that hype was starting to be a little disillusioned and maybe, pro- and I didn't get to go to the second one and I'm not going to get to go to this one. So I'm interested to see the shift that you've seen over these three year period where it's been super intense and the changes that you've seen. Yeah. And I'm going to tie that back into the last comments you just made. We had the same issues growing up in Florida. We still don't have legalization federally or locally. In in Florida, we have medicalization now. But I got started with cannabis probably at about 13 and psychedelics at 14. And then I left them alone for a long time after high school and until I started seeing the research. Now, Florida is also one of the probably ground zero for the whole opioid epidemic. Right. This is where a lot of people were coming for that. As far as cannabis and as far as psychedelics, anything that can help get people away from opioids and these drugs that are killing people literally in numbers that we've never seen before. It's outstanding. I think we've probably at about 150 to 1,000 or more Americans every year are dying from these overdoses with the, with the opioids and fentanyl and other things. Any drug is safer than that. And as far as the health benefits or detriments to uh, smoking marijuana. Yeah, obviously smoking is not great for you, but it's night and day a million times safer than any of the food additives that we're eating or sugar or alcohol, which is killing hundreds of people right every day. I'm all for that. I'm for personally for uh, legalization, not just medicalization, because the problem with the medicalization I see is, and like we're talking about, a lot of people will not have access I deal with a lot of people from either retired seniors or low income areas. It's across the map. I have patients that are living in very nice homes and have yachts. And then we have the the patients that are working class or what we would consider to be on, on a poverty level type of patients. So if someone can't afford to pay their doctor $300 for a visit and pay hundreds of dollars a month for these uh, compounds that insurance is likely not going to cover... Yeah. My personal belief is if it's something they can grow at home, they should, I don't see why that should be illegal. Just the same as I can grow mint at home and mint is a medicinal herb and tomatoes have anti-cancer properties and Mm -hmm. I could grow those at home. Uh, Why can't I grow my own medicine? I will also state at this point that this, all this information here is not medical advice. What we're (laughs) talking about here is educational, informational, and for entertainment purposes. So I'm not advising anybody <laughs> yeah, to, to, to use any of these substances, but I think people should research, speak to their doctors or other healthcare professionals and figure out what's best for them. I think we need medical freedom when it comes to these kinds of things. And uh, Florida is one of these interesting vacuums where we want medical freedom for certain subjects, mm. but we're denying it to others yeah. for these things. So I'm hoping to catch up as far as what I've seen with Wonderland and the conferences, you're right. I think when I first noticed, it was very business orientated. And it seemed like everybody's just looking for investments or VC or capital. And one of the things that I mixed feelings. One, it was beautiful to see so many like-minded yeah. people. It was one of the coolest conferences I've ever been to because it's not like your typical conference yeah, where people yeah. are just trying to sell. We were actually having like, real conversations and making like genuine connections with people that I've made friends that are very close friends to this day that come for dinners and we work together and 
So I think there's a, a different mindset because of the passion that we all have for the medicine. But I think the capitalization issue of it is a problem. And that what I didn't like about it was that it looked like it was just turning into the next pharma thing, right? Where it's yeah. just, let's medicalize it. Let's sell as many. And then you're just replacing one drug with another. And there wasn't enough focus on the integration, which is mm. my background. And, and that's what I do when I come in for. So I was glad that they had me on the, the functional mushrooms uh, panel last year. And a lot of it, they, there's a lot of talk about with the functional mushrooms and all that. And the psilocybin about the indigenous, like yeah. Central and Southern American cultures and, and ayahuasca and uh, ibogaine. But there isn't a lot of discussion on with the functional mushrooms and some of these other, other compounds on the Eastern influences where mm -hmm. all the history we have on functional mushrooms, the very first recording we ever have of reishi, all that comes out of the basically the Chinese medicine, yeah, right? Yeah all the meditation practices that we use for the most part, not that other cultures didn't have meditative practices. It was clearly Central and South America. They had their own systems and all that. But most of what's being taught today, as far as mindfulness, breath work, all that comes from the East. All that comes from India and, and China and those regions for, for the most part. So I think there was a lack uh, on that. And there's a lot of talk about integration, but there isn't a lot of people doing anything about it. And the ones that are, it's they might have an article on their blog about it or say, hey, take these vitamins or, or do this breath work. But the, I didn't see enough medical professionals that were working it into yeah, the model, yeah. like what we're going to be doing at, at New Path, where it's not just, there's these ketamine clinics, you come, you get ketamine, see you later. But that's not enough. That mm -hmm. that doesn't solve the, the, the loneliness issue. That doesn't solve uh, what the pandemic did to us being, you know, separated from people or the anxiety we're seeing with what's going on in, in, in the world today and everything else. I think these other practices, like I said before, are actually more important. So I'm happy to this year to be teaching in Wonderland. I have a panel discussing that the right to try laws and the DEA petition with Joseph Shapiro, the attorney that represented me. And I'm teaching a Taoist internal Magong emotional cleansing techniques and how that works oh, wow. with um, psychedelics. And I'm going to be teaching a uh, Tai Chi and Qigong class for longevity as well. So it's nice to be able to see more of these things in the conferences. And that's been my goal is to really push for that side of it, to push for the recognition of these practices that are more important than the psychedelics, in my personal and professional opinion. Mm -hmm. And most of the people I work with and will agree with that. I, so your time is very valuable. So I don't want to keep drawing you with questions, but a couple things piqued my interest. I'd maybe love to get some quick thoughts from you on. One of the things that you talked about was this divergence of people who are coming in for treatment. And I had never been to Miami before when I went to the first conference. It was the last minute, things were going on. And so I ended up in just finding an Airbnb. What I found in Miami specifically was a very stark contrast, even on one side of the street. In one area, <laughs> definitely a, a sort of low income area. And then you take a right turn and all of a sudden you're looking at mansions. And so a huge sort of contrast I found. And so I, just out of curiosity, without too many details, this the the type of, not the type of treatment but the type of relief and reasons why a low income a low income sort of treatment or versus you talk about people who are in yachts yeah. coming I don't know I just love to hear a little bit more about the divergence and maybe the similarities in those two sort of profiles yeah and, and that is a big issue here in, in Florida because right everybody thinks Miami they think South Beach and we see all these images in the movies. 
Uh, but that's not the reality for most of the people here. Now, the yeah. prices are going up and it's driving people out. Gentrification is a huge issue. Uh, but Miami is historically uh, had these issues. Okay. Miami is actually one of the poorest cities in the country. We have uh, Miami Dade's uh, school system is one of the poorest and one of the worst in the country. But it's a major stark contrast, right? Because, yeah, you see these high rises with $10 million condos and $30 million mansions and people driving Lamborghinis. And then you're right, on the other side of the street, it might look like a third world country, literally, yeah. where people are living maybe without water and electric sometimes. It, it, it gets pretty bad. Um, and then everything in between. And then we have huge um, issues with crime here, like any major city you'd expect. And we also have a lot of, it's an international city. So we have a lot of people from the South and Central America, a lot of the Caribbean, Europeans, people from all over that are relocated that are bringing all their transgenerational traumas um, along with whatever is happening uh, locally, which is one of the reasons I'm for um, having legalization so people can get their own medicine. And I would love to see more federal programs I mean, Canada might be a little better than the U.S. at this kind of stuff and having more social programs where people can get information yeah. and get access to to good health care and dietary advice and nutrition advice. It's, it's just a huge problem. While we may be one of the more health-orientated states that typically does run on the people from a higher socioeconomic um, yeah, yeah. class level. And I think it's the people that are coming from these types of conditions that need the help the most. And unfortunately, conferences like Wonderland are, are not accessible to, to these kinds of people to get uh, information just because of the high cost of entry. Specifically, yeah. Wonderland is a more for professionals, not really for uh, consumers, where a conference like Canadelic, they have the exhibit floors are, are free yeah, for yeah. people to come in and just get uh, information and be able to participate and, and, uh, and learn about different providers and, and have access to things like that. But not to bash the event because it's extremely expensive to produce everything in Miami. I <laughs> yes, think they've exactly. done a yeah. phenomenal job with the production. I was extremely impressed with the quality of the event. And I think it's well worth it for anybody looking to get into the field to invest yeah. in, in the ticket price and going out there to network and meet people. Because it is one of the premier events in the country, I believe, and one of the places uh, you want to be. So I'm lucky to have that in, in my backyard. Yep. Uh, essentially, it's I'm an hour north of there, so it's, it's not a big deal for us to go down there, get a hotel, or even drive back and forth if we have to. Uh, and I wish more people would take advantage. And hopefully in the future, as we have more legalization or decriminalization, we'll see more opportunities and more grants and, and funding open up to to train and educate people on these things. I think the stigma is starting to reverse itself which is nice just because of the amount of media attention we've seen. Although this week we had a story that um, is not going to be um, helpful for, for the cause. Uh, I think for, for the most part, the, the research is overwhelmingly positive, especially when you see the VA involved and things like that. It just adds legitimacy and credibility. And there's a lot of senators and congressmen and lawmakers now on both sides of the aisle not from any bipartisan support for these kinds of things. And for our veterans, which have been underserved and mistreated for a long time. We have we have our fair share of problems with their with the veteran health care 
And a lot of it is just dog and pony show for, for the media. And then they do get discarded and swept under the rug. We're hoping to see all that change. And, and obviously a lot of the veterans come from these possibly low income or different socioeconomic ladders of the types of professionals that you'd see at these, these conferences. And they might not, even when there is insurance coverage, we're going to have an issue with a lot of people not even having insurance coverage. It's going to be an interesting future. I'm glad to be here on the front lines fighting for it. And I appreciate guys like you doing what you can to spread the message as well and letting people know, hey, we're all out here. This is real. It exists. And we want this for the, the good of humankind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's what I always love is there's some sort of shared experiences and stories and the story of how you first got involved was that resonated with me. And personally, mine was not as much full body illness, but just trauma mentally that I had to deal with. But I will say I also saw the consequence of uninformed over use. I specifically mm. got a little too deep probably into psilocybin because it just gave me such a transformative mental state that I just continued to seek that mental state. And I saw the negative outcomes of that isolation from people. One of the challenges was too much radical transformation of thought that was just super yeah. disruptive for my own life. And also everyone around me who actually cared about me a lot. And I know with some of these transformative experiences, I think why these sort of containers that you're you know, working on now and people are trying to build are so important because for anyone who can have that abrupt of a realization that is so consequential for their life, mental model of life, you need some support sometimes to work through that. I guess just one last question, and I'm probably am wedging this in the end because of my own interest right now, but there's this super obviously other fascinating hype cycle that I'm, this is what I'm personally experiencing right now. I don't know how much you know about that, but I run a company called Speak AI. We've run that company since 2019. The core idea was there's a lot of unstructured language data in the world. How can we turn that unstructured language data into insights? And uh, there's obviously been an explosion of AI and technology. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, I think there's a lot of different ideas or perspectives on this. Your and you're also putting together a clinic where technology has at least some component in it. But how do you think about these two, interestingly, both like technology at a core level is very psychedelic. And then at the same time, it's almost like antithetical to psychedelic. So I'm wondering how, if just any thoughts on how you're viewing in technology in the field, you're thinking about it in the clinic. Yeah, I'm, I'm caught in the middle. Because I come, my, my, my medical background, for the most part, I'm up to date on research and science, obviously, and I'm constantly reading and learning new things. I think technology is super fascinating and you know, what you do, AI is obviously the, the future. However, at the same time, I'm super frustrated by all the horror stories that my patients come in and tell me. And a lot of times we can fix even serious chronic health issues with zero technologies, with these herbs or plant medicines and things and acupuncture that we've been using for thousands of years that require no technology. That being said, if I'm in a serious accident or something, airlift me to the hospital, I want the jaws of life, whatever, cut me out, yeah, yeah. fix me up. So I think we need technology. The problem is, same thing with the psychedelics, it's getting used as an excuse to overbill and overcomplicate certain aspects of our life. And I do worry about the effects of all the additional, what it's doing to our natural, our natural electromagnetic fields, right? Mm. What EMFs and things are doing to us. There is some research on, on both sides of the aisle. And a lot of times we can't 
believe a lot of the research because a lot of research these days is biased and funded by companies who have something to prove. And a lot of times it's not peer reviewed or not replicated. And it just goes into the bag is is standard accepted. Um, However, I think it it will make big changes. Um, Will it put some people out of work? Yes, but it'll also create a lot of new opportunities. And I think it's going to save a lot of lives as well. I read a story two days ago about an AI that can diagnose if you have type two diabetes by -hmm. your voice, by listening to you talk for 60 to 90 seconds. So now that's going to be a lot faster than me spending half an hour with the patient and then running a blood test and having to wait three days for the blood test to come back and having the patient schedule a follow-up exam. If the patient can essentially call their provider or an AI on the phone, talk for a minute or two and now all of a sudden, and if we can diagnose diabetes that way, what's that going to look like in two years from now or 10 years from now? Maybe we can diagnose everything that way, with, not everything, obviously, but actually it's exploding so fast that we can't even hypothesize what kind of impacts that's going to have in the long term for diagnostic methods and for specifically things like that. If it's going to take costs out of the healthcare system, yeah. because our costs are so overinflated, it's disgusting mm-hmm. and and it's unethical for a lot of what the rates of what some of these hospitals and, and providers and device manufacturers and, and pharmaceutical companies are, are charging. And they could say, oh, research and all this. I don't buy it because a lot of these companies are making record profits more than ever before. And at the same time, our costs of health insurance are going up. The costs of our out-of-pocket costs and everything are going up. Our deductibles are are getting higher and we're not getting any healthier. Overall, we're actually getting sicker and sicker. So if AI and technology can maybe even start to give people nutrition advice, there's a few companies now that are doing, you're, they're using AI, it actually like read blood work and read gut microbiome and things like that to help personalize and customize the nutrients that things are people taking, then I think that's great. Am I worried it's going to put me out of business? No, I, I, I don't yeah. think so. I, I think, think it'll, that. yeah, I, I think it will put some people out of business. And obviously if you're resistant to change, you're going to get left behind. And that comes from old I Ching and Taoist concepts as well. You have to change with the change. That's just evolution. Otherwise, you're going to be a dinosaur. And it, the world is changing whether you like it or not. Yeah. So if you refuse to change, then you're basically signing your own uh, death certificate. But if you roll with the punches and figure out how you can stay ahead of it, or at least with it, I think we'll all be able to adapt and be able to use it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to be implementing cost-effective AI types of things in the future. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of overpriced gizmos that aren't really necessary. There's a lot of quackery in medicine from both the conventional and the woo side of the field on devices and things that I think are, are unnecessary and a lot of unnecessary testing. But at the same time, you have the positive. So it, it, and then it goes right back again to the Eastern medicine, right? It's yin and yang. I, yeah, I don't yeah. see one as is good or bad. It just is what it is. And you have to adapt and use the good parts and discard the parts that you don't want and and that aren't useful for you personally. Yeah. And I'll just share a little bit of my experience. And yeah, it was just, just I was running this company. I was outspoken 
too much. Sometimes people would probably say I would accuse myself of just talking with psychedelics at large as much as I could. I just found it so fascinating. And I just happened, I love technology. I grew up with that. And because we were doing some sort of vocal sort of analysis and transcription and then running analysis on that transcription, we started to get a lot of these sort of psychedelic companies that were trying to figure out how to make some sort of business proposition or basically trying to use technology as a linchpin for a scalable business. So they would come to gravitate uh, towards us and the the thought was, hey, let's capture some pre-treatment sort of voice notes. Let's capture the actual sessions themselves. And then let's get some prompted voice notes throughout and throughout maybe a, a large enough sample size, you can find some super interesting things. Compelling theoretically in practicality, what was hilarious was, so we, we got involved with a couple of sessions that were in clinical trials. And as you may know, a lot of the uh, therapists um, will play music during those sessions. And uh, some of them are playing them with headphones on. So you could, for example, isolate and get mm-hmm. good quality vocals. But we were getting literally psychedelic therapy sessions back where it was just jungle music played loud through a speed, you know, just useless. Like it would make me, it, would, it still makes me laugh, this theoretical implementation versus this, okay, practically, this is how a healing session is actually taking place. And so I think I see this valuable proposition of people being able to interact with technology. One of the examples was this whoop strap, obviously monitoring a, a bunch of incredible things, but then they also integrated that with basically some open AI large language model capabilities where you can just ask questions to your whoop strap and get it in a much more human interface and experience. So I do think there are the other question that emerged through some of those sessions though, and this was just like, when you are being recorded, there is some sort of, whether it's conscious or subconscious, maybe filtering or change of that experience or what you want to disclose. And the one last funny one we did was like, we were doing some ketamine sessions, recording those ketamine sessions. <laughs> Most of those sessions were basically silence. You know what I mean? Like right. <laughs> you take the ketamine and just lay back in a chair. You're not going to get uh, too much insight from that besides just quiet. So I don't know. I just think there's uh, an interesting opportunity there. I haven't quite figured out what that is. And I'm interested in the naturalistic use of technology, if that is even possible, but I'll stop there. That's my rant on it. I just think I thought it was a super fascinating trend. We never found something fully viable. I think there's a lot of theoretical attempts. And I think also Mm -hmm. through clinical trials and say hundreds of hours of recordings, there are going to be some really amazing data sets that are unstructured that people are going to find some interesting things on, but there's a lot of things to think about before you do that. So it is super interesting and I love it. And uh, we should probably chat down the road about some other projects or some things like that. The other big problem is with that is, is privacy concerns. Exactly. Right? Yeah. What happens not only, obviously this is something you have permission for, but AI, as far as what it's doing for hacking now and for yeah. it's, it's, you know, pros and cons. Yeah, exactly. And so if people wanted to find out more about you or get in contact, you want to, can you share any sort of information or anything or any call to action that you have for anyone who checks this out? Yeah, absolutely. The easiest ways to find me is probably Create Health, which is the letter C, the letter R, the number 8, health.com or at CR8Health. If you want to find me on Instagram or Facebook, it's easy. Or LinkedIn, just at Jonathan M. Fields, just the way it's spelled in here, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N. The letter M, like Matthew Fields. But if you look for reference, that, I will Jonathan, include these links. I'll include these yeah, links fantastic. so I don't have you to. Uh, the links. That, <laughs> great help. The and then right. the clinic we're opening up in Delray is New Path Mind. So if Beautiful. you look at uh, 
New Path Mind. I'll send you the link for that as well. Yeah, and would love to maybe down the road once you get through a yeah, come visit. And, yeah, we'll be doing uh, visit, retreats. Exactly. We'll be yeah, doing yeah. Uh, you know weekend events, and maybe we could do an episode about it or a film from there. Or Beautiful. Whatever. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Phil. I really appreciated this. I had a lot of fun in this conversation. I hope anyone who checks this out also enjoys. And as always, thank you for tuning in. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye-bye. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.